Bordy. Hello and welcome to the Big Travel Podcast. I'm Lisa Francesca Nand. Fashion editor turned travel guru Bonnie Rackett, aka the Style Traveller, has an enviable job combining luxury travel and fashion all over the world. Having been bullied badly as a child, her aim now is to start using her platform to raise awareness. Bonnie and I talk Instagram, blogging, iconic train journeys, iconic hotels, fashion front rows, racism, taking a beating, cave raves, dancing under the stars, Coachella, Leonardo DiCaprio snogging Rihanna. California convertibles and the tangible sea change in Instagrammers starting to use their profiles for meaningful causes. Bonnie Rackett on the Big Travel Podcast. My name's Bonnie Rackett and I am a award-winning luxury travel and fashion blogger, Instagrammer. I'm also ex-fashion editor of British Isle magazine. That was seven years ago. And I do quite a bit of TV and radio, all to do with lifestyle, travel and fashion. The fashion stuff I was intimidated by because I was doing a bit of research, really <laughs> disorganised on the way here. And I'm thinking, oh God, I wish I'd have worn something better. You look amazing. You're, you're in this lovely red dress and <laughs> just look fabulous. The whole fashion and travel thing I think goes hand in hand you have the style the style traveler styletraveler.com yeah where you focus on traveling and fashion together so that kind of came about while I was still at Elle magazine I was one of the fashion editors there and I was there for about six or seven years and I was traveling back to back on photo shoots shooting models and also press trips and brand collaborations brand trips so I was going to all these amazing destinations all over the world but in the magazine you didn't really see any of it because I was either there to schmooze and get in some advertisers or I was taking a photo of one model in a bikini by a swimming pool and you know we'd be in Mexico so you wouldn't see uh, you know nothing would be in the magazine of the backstory you wouldn't see the fabulous hotel we were staying in which is you know made out of driftwood and it's like a crazy boutique hotel or you wouldn't see the the trendy nightclubs and you know beach clubs on the beach uh, where we danced under the stars and things like that and I really wanted people to see the other side of it like the amazing boutique shops and secret hidden streets in Paris where you can go and buy a vintage you know whatever it is handbag that you want so that's kind of where the blog came about because I wanted to, to share those hidden gems those things that I was seeing but I, I wasn't sharing with anybody and after having been at Elle magazine for about six or seven years and, and having been in the fashion industry for well, well over 10 years at that point I'd only just started getting my front row seats at fashion uh, you know Paris Fashion Week and I remember I sat on uh, quite one of, one of the quite big shows on the front row and then this girl came and sat next to me a young girl I was like oh I really recognise her and I was like have we met? And she was like, yes, I, uh, I did an internship for you a couple of years. I was o- a couple of years ago. I was only in for a week, you know, blah, blah. And I was like, that's amazing. How, are you, how come you're, it's taken me 10 years to get this seat. What are you doing now? What, what's your magic trick? And she was like, well, I'm a blogger. I've got about half a million followers. I, uh, and she was one of the ones who posts a different picture of her outfit every day, uh, which was a, a huge thing back then. It still is now, but uh, obviously a lot of people have done, done that. And she's like, I've got so many followers and so I just get flown around the world. And um, so she, she'd springboarded, you know, super quickly into, you know, right at the top of the industry, which is 
absolutely amazing. And I was like, hang on a sec. I want a bit of that. I want a bit of that. If you were my intern, can I learn from you now? Can you teach me all about this blogging game? Like, what's what's happening? It's incredible how the world of blogging and Instagram has changed business in the way and changed media in the way and changed we interact with with each other and the the way we book holidays, you know, particularly in travel. Everything, yeah. uh, Which is something that we're here to talk about today because I know you're talking about, you've been talking a lot about Instagram in the press. Yes. And how it has changed the way we travel and how necessarily it's not always for the better. Well, as with everything, it has both sides. And actually, there's a recent survey just come out, Intercontinental Hotels put together. And basically, a couple of the findings, they actually, they interviewed over 7,000 luxury travellers across the globe. And they wanted to find out what the future of travel is to them. What are the behaviours? Where are they hoping to go as their next destination? What are they looking for in their next trip? So it's like a real kind of insightful, lovely piece. And two of the most interesting things that that came out of that is that 75% of luxury travellers actually felt obliged to visit these bucket list goals destinations. And they were feeling a little bit in a, of, a, of a travel rut because they're basically flying into a destination, taking an Instagram shot, for example, in front of the Eiffel Tower, which, interestingly, is the most used hashtag in travel. It, it, it's actually 10% of all travel hashtags that are used on uh, on Instagram. 10%, 10% of all travel that's hashtags. That's huge. And it's such an iconic landmark, but yes, the Eiffel Tower. And, and likewise, in London, the most used hashtag for, for travel is uh, Buckingham Palace. I never would have expected um, that. No, I, I, I haven't either, thought actually. about it, but I suppose now you... It's the Queen. Yeah, people it's the Queen, go, isn't it? Yeah, people the moan about the royal family in many ways, but they, they love do it, bring in a lot of money. In Absolutely. Huge revenue, huge massive for the tourism industry but Instagram has become a problem in some sense I mean it has revolutionised the way people travel but it yeah. has come, become a problem in the sense of over tourism yes. and people just going to those to sites those to sort of tick off the list very much so and actually one of the other things that uh, one of the other insights that came from that uh, survey was that 80% of these luxury travellers are really feeling a bit disillusioned with the way that we're travelling these days. And what they're really hoping to get is and seeking is a more of a connection with the destinations that they're going to. And this is part of the problem. So if you are coming to London and you're standing in front of Buckingham Palace, you've got to actually wait in a queue of about 50 people, if not more, depending on what day you're there, waiting to get that Instagram photo. And you know what? There's no magic in that. You've kind of lost half of the, the love. You've lost why you're actually there in the first place. Because Actually, all you're there in that case to do is take a photo to show off to your friends or whoever it is on social media to say, look, I came here. Marvellous. And essentially, that is the way we travel. So I'm not suggesting that all overnight that behaviour is going to change. And also people do like to see it. It's popular for a reason. Those hashtags yeah, are trending because people like seeing those destinations and they like seeing it over and over again, interestingly. But the other thing that is happening is people are seeking this connection. And that's where Intercontinental Icons, this new campaign that they've come up with, where they've, uh, the hotel group has actually got together lists of travel experts and locals from the seven top destinations across the globe where they have their hotels. And they've compiled lists of alternative experiences. So they're not saying don't go to the Eiffel Tower and don't go to Central Park. But what they're saying is do that and then take an extra adventure and journey to these experiences which we put together for you, which are much more multi-sensory. They'll give you more of a connection with the destinations. And it's like a really lovely way of seeing the city, imagining as though you're a local yourself. So can you think of any examples in Paris, for example? Visit the Eiffel Tower because everyone wants to. Yes, obviously. But yeah, Paris has got 
you know, it's it's all about hi- uh, uh, taking little journeys down the back streets and discovering the little coffee shops and the smell of croissants in the morning in the boulangeries. In fact, there's lots and lots, but perhaps listening to the sound of jazz uh, during the summer whilst having a picnic in Parc de la Villette. And also, so this is quite a nice one. This is quite a sensory one. It's the tickle of the blades of grass during a springtime picnic in the Jardin Tuileries. And I love the Tuileries because that's it's such a fashion place. It's lovely just looking at the outfits that people are wearing but it's quite nice that the that the experience that the locals chose was lying on the grass and it's not about taking a photo of what's going on there it's it's actually about being immersed in the moment and feeling and sensing and touching and living i more. had one of the most romantic picnics of my life i think next to the, the river in on ile de la cite the little um oh, island lovely, that's in, in yes. the river uh, behind the notre dame and just went to a little local shop got some cheese got some wine oh, got some perfect. you know cherry tomatoes and just sat there and watched all the 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 bateau mouche, the the boats go yes. the bateau mouche, isn't it yeah uh, go past and oh it's just i just love yeah. paris like that, that was another one from the boats uh, to see the nightscape of the twinkling lights the boats uh, are one of the best ways to see paris yeah. And because it, it all comes to you, yeah. Although I haven't been since the Notre Dame was uh, it was burned, no, so I don't I know what it, what it looks either. like. But uh, yeah. uh, they had a good campaign to the, the, the funds that Gosh, they managed they to did. raise. To yeah. you know, when you think about, it's really good and it's an iconic building and you know such an iconic image of, of Paris but can you think about all the money that people put into it which is yeah. great and, like there's, and, but there's so and, many other things the distribution you could be of, into. yeah of the of the way money's being channeled into different charities and what it's going exactly. to I don't yeah, it's I a mean, whole other subject it's but. a very different subject and um, I mean I can see I mean for me all of Australia burning down exactly. that's something that I would channel Definitely. huge vast amounts of money into because it, these are people's livelihoods, their homes, all the animals and the wildlife. I get it. I can completely understand why it's happening there. Uh, but you know what? Not, Notre Dame is a beautiful monument. Yeah, it is. Yeah, but I was thinking exactly the same thing, you know, with Australia versus the Notre Dame and the amount of money that when celebrities started yeah. campaigning for the Notre Dame. Great. But there's, there's other really? things as well. Yeah, I, I kind of felt that. Uh, I'm, a massive, I'm a massive fan of the Intercontinental. I've been yes. on uh, probably one of the best trips of my life, I would say, was with oh. the Intercontinental when I took a train trip from Istanbul to London over six or seven days with my parents and we stayed in an intercontinental in Istanbul in Budapest in Vienna in Paris and somewhere else along the way I've forgotten the route but it was just the most beautiful incredible train journey not always easy there were some difficulties along the way but it was a great one so I'm a massive fan of the intercontinental definitely and also train journeys on that train journeys let's talk a little bit about those so much of the world it's just it's really quite magical speaking of train journeys I recently was in Peru and I actually did how to do Peru in a luxury way and we travelled up to Machu Picchu and part of me did want to do the trek because you know this is one of the things that you do when you go to Peru and like waking up in the morning and trekking to the top to see the sunrise all of that would have been amazing however I did it in a very different and also incredibly luxurious way with Belmont so they have the Hiram Bingham train which takes you from Cusco and it's it's an old school amazing train like the uh, like the Orient Express which is, is the one the, with the glass cabin that's there's another one there's a glass cabin at the back of the Hiram Bingen. So this particular train is like being on the Orient Express but in Peru and it's like a really old school train and it's a little bit rickety they've got like a jazz musician in the back with the bar and it's all kind of you know five course dinner while you're you know traveling through the Andean mountains and it was an incredible experience and something that I yeah perhaps I wouldn't have 
necessarily tried because I think I would have gone the trek route. But it was just so lovely to see that slightly different side of Peru. And also, part of what, you know, one of the hotels we stayed in was the Sanctuary Lodge, which is actually within Machu Picchu. So it was, it was a, yeah, it was a fantastic trip. But it was, I felt immersed, much more immersed in the culture and in, I don't know, it, it just felt more magical winding through the the mountains on this old school train and even that it was called Hiram Bingham you know the explorers the, the the people who discovered it in the first place it just it just felt magical do you know what I like I'm very interested in the fact that you say that it was luxury and you felt like you were immersed in yes. it because I've done a lot of luxury travel when I was going on an awful lot of press trips and had this regular video and written blog for sky.com and you know we did all the Taj the beautiful yes, hotels I around the, the world yeah. and it's a bit like when you get free tickets for a concert and you go backstage, even though it's like amazing and it's a brilliant experience, you're not down the front in the squash the with the pit. people. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it kind of feels, in some ways people would say a better experience, but sometimes when I've done a lot of luxury travel, it feels like I'm, I've sort of taken a step outside yeah. what's real. Does that make sense? Yeah, I totally understand. I can, and I can totally see that. Um, I think it's quite important the hotels that you pick because obviously yeah some some luxury hotels can be quite faceless and and they look the same in every destination that you go to uh, and and that's definitely a thing and people will do want that there's a huge market for that oh, so that's not yeah. necessarily a bad thing either but as with intercontinental and taj like i just mentioned and belmond and and there's various other groups that actually the hotels that they have are almost part of the heritage of the areas and that's also a lovely uh, it gives you more of a it makes you feel like you're in a traditional be it a palace rather than a shack but um that's an experience in itself and and one that i'm not going to poo poo because i love staying in a luxury hotel and also you do have to remember that you know we think like you're going to india and you need to get the real experience by like staying in a hostel and with the people but the real experience is also the palaces if you look at all the princedoms i just got back from india i I think i did that last march in march last year and i did the whole tour of india uh, well not of india of rajasthan with taj hotels now that was unbelievable because the experience that I was having there, okay, I'm not going to a shanty town and I wasn't necessarily living in a backpacker's hostel where you might have a very different experience and be, you know, down to earth and, and, and with the locals or whatever it is. But actually, India is the land of kings and queens and magical palaces. And what I did with that trip was I stayed at the Taj Hotels and they were the actual homes of said kings and queens. And in fact, one of the hotels I stayed in was Umed Bhavan, which I don't know if you've seen the uh, the film, not the Ambassador's House, what's it called? The, the Viceroy's the House. The Viceroy's House, sorry, yes. <laughs> not the Ambassador's Reception or the... <laughs> yeah, the Viceroy's House. So that was filmed part, partly at Umed Bhavan, which is now half of the wing is a hotel, a luxury Taj hotel. And the other half of the hotel, the King of Jodhpur lives there. So one day when we were having breakfast... He was actually sat at another table. <laughs> he was sat there smoking a cigar, like enjoying a cup of coffee or whatever it was. But he was the king. Like it was so surreal that I was sat in this, you know, in the restaurant at the hotel, looking out over the grounds with peacocks kind of cooing and making beautiful sounds. And they had like Indian kind of chamber orchestra playing for breakfast. It's, it's luxury on another level. It's, it's something, uh, it's so ostentatious. And uh, unbelievable. It's absolutely incredible. It's funny you should mention Viceroy's house because I think I've mentioned it on this podcast before, but I actually make the podcast for India Hicks and her mum, who is Lord and Lady Mountbatten's daughter, Lady Pamela Hicks. So Viceroy's house is about her. (gasps) 
and oh, her experience. Wow, that's fascinating. She's Lazy Pamela Hicks. She's a fascinating lady. She's that coming up shiver. to night. It, honestly, <laughs> when I'm recording the podcast with them, the India Hicks podcast, I'm sitting in their living room in Oxfordshire, wow. their drawing room, sorry, yeah. in Oxfordshire. And Lady Pamela is now 91 and her stories are just incredible. You know, she was there. She knew Gandhi really well. Wow. She knew Neri really well. Her mother had a did she or didn't she affair with Neri yeah. and she was there for partition through working in the refugee camps oh helping gosh, out as much as she could she was 18 yeah. and you know became very good friends with, with Gandhi and, and Nehru called them uncles yeah. and lived in these beautiful palaces at this wow. at this very challenge in time as you know yeah. uh, of, of British and, and Indian history, history. Yeah. but the stories she has they do I, they, I sit there and I'm, I, I get a tingle you know I get absolutely mesmerised yeah. the story is just incredible not just her time in India but her time in all over the world yeah. and you know the leader she knew she, she has become part of history herself yeah. uh, so if you haven't anyone who's listening you haven't checked out the India Hicks podcast do have a listen because it's just it is very good but actually sticking with with, Indi- uh, with India the country mm. um, you're, you're of Indian origin yourself? I am. Tell indeed. us a little bit about your background. Both my parents are Indian. They were both born and brought up in Calcutta. Quite different backgrounds. My dad was uh, from the sticks out in the countryside and he moved to Calcutta to, to do medical training because he's a doctor. And my mum was a bit of a Calcutta it girl. Oh, so <laughs> So she was kind of at the parties in the 60s and, you know, wearing big shades and a headscarf. It's quite fabulous. Love her. Oh, God, I'd love to see some um, and then And then her and my dad are like complete poles apart. She's kind of this quite, not aristocratic, but like more of a kind of commercial, like, uh, in magazines and things like this and then my dad is like the complete opposite into communism comes to India wants to help everybody you know do charity stuff so it's quite interesting how the two worlds came together but actually that's kind of what they needed each you know to bring them to more of a kind of equilibrium anyway so they then there's a doctor shortage in the UK in the 70s and there was lots of incentive for uh, young India doctors to move over here they put them up in houses and you know uh, and got them jobs in various hospitals and then so they came over with the idea of making some money, going back to India, you know, setting up some charity hospital or whatever it was. But then actually what they ended up doing was that my mum got pregnant with me and then they ended up staying. And then I was born and brought up in the UK, up north in Stockport and then Blackburn. And, and then I, I grew up there. I did warn you that I liked it because you've got such this wonderful, charmed life and all the research I did about you online. You know, you've, you've got these beautiful photographs. You've got those proper Instagrammable shots that I can never perfect at all you know these beautiful your website is lovely it's all really beautiful looking and it, you seem like you've had this charmed life mm. of course <laughs> not everyone has had a charmed life at all I warned you in an email yeah. I want to know about the adversity okay what's gone wrong has uh, anything gone well, wrong a lot of things went wrong in my earlier days for sure but I wouldn't necessarily say gone wrong because what's happened is I've learned from it. So obviously growing up in the early 80s in Blackburn, which was not the the most, well let's just say it was, it was quite racist when I, when I was growing up. And, let's um, say how it is. Yeah, let's just get to the, <laughs> to the nitty gritty. So my dad being a local doctor would have, he, was, he had a surgery uh, and we'd have graffiti daubed onto surgery saying Packies F off, uh, which, you know, my mum and me would scrub off the walls, which so that was lovely to begin with. People would, you know, spit at you in the street. It's, it was just, it was not a good place to grow up. In a recession, 
And actually, my dad was trying to help people. He was, he was a doctor, you know. You don't get much better than that. But actually, it, it just felt very... And people were very ungrateful. And, and it just felt very... It was a very sad, bleak place to grow up. And I guess it kind of culminated uh, when I was at school. I underwent, I would say, probably a, a two-year... From the age of 11 to about 13, bullying campaign where I was the subject of everybody's hate uh, in the school and it was not even just like literally just walking down the corridors I just get my head smacked against a locker or tripped up or my coat spat on or if I was in the gym you know in a PE lesson my stuff would get thrown out the window all of my belongings so then I'd have to go and pick it up from the puddle of mud because obviously it's always raining up north uh, and then bring it and put it back on so my shirt's covered in mud I let my stuff got stolen. But, you know, what? lots and lots of things like that happened. I got beaten up several times. And perhaps, actually, the thing that... Uh, we, we had to get the police involved in the end because I was in a fairground with my friends as 13 years old. And, I'd, you know, parents let their kids go to a fairground when they're 13. You don't have to always supervise them. However, I kind of wish <laughs> that someone had been there because this particular last time, some of the really full-on bullies at the school there's a group of about eight or nine of them, decided they'd go around the fairground and beat up anybody that they didn't like. And I happened to be there with my friend. So they formed a huge row, about 50 people stood around me and proceeded to absolutely kick the living daylights out of me. I just crawled into a ball. They broke my ribs. Uh, they smashed all of my face in because I had steel toe cap boots in and then turned me around and continued to punch me in the face. It was it was absolutely... Absolutely ferocious and brutal. On another level, I can't even imagine teenage girls. They must have been 14 or 15. I don't know how, where that behaviour comes from or how you even know how to do that to another human being. So I was basically a pulp, a ball of blood on the floor. And I just remember a guy coming and picking me up by the scruff of my neck and carrying me out, like one of the fairground guys, and, and putting me in a car. And I, I didn't even know what happened next, but I was sat you know, hospital, police there finding out what's going on but it was it was absolutely brutal on another level what what happened i mean because these days you know you hope that they would be pulled up arrested did you back in the day i mean we we called the police and a couple of them got suspended from school that was it and there was no no one wanted to talk to there was no counseling which now you know there's anti-bullying campaigns there's big charities helping which actually on that note i would really love to get involved with some, if, if anyone's listening, please contact me because I would love to support those charities. Um, so actually nothing happened in the end. I so carried on going to the school. To school. They came back to school. People. They stopped bullying me a little bit because I'd moved on to the next person by that stage because they'd got uh, basically everything that they could from me. Um, I spiralled into a huge depression at that time. I was really young. I didn't know how to cope with any of it. My parents were incredible. They helped me. They'd cry, they'd cry with me because they didn't understand why it was happening to their child. But it wasn't just me, and it happens to so many kids. And interestingly, one of the girls that I met when I was older at university, she was a girl called Fiona, she had got beaten up that same day as me at that fairground. She'd gone to a different school. And it's how weird, you know, we were drunk and in a bar, and you know, we'd gone back to a house party, actually, and we were talking about it. And I said, like, oh, you're from Blackburn, too. Got in this conversation. With her, she actually had to have facial restructuring because the, they picked her as she was getting off the walls of steps. This is like something out of, you know, lock, stock and two smoking barrels. They, they put her head against the walls of steps and kicked her in the back of the head and all her teeth went through her skin. Who the hell are this these is teenage girls? But this is, you know, it, it happened a lot. 
God, I really hope it still doesn't. You just I don't know. I think it know, does, do you? but you I just don't so. know. And actually, people are scared to say anything. They're scared to speak out. So anyway, what I did learn from that was that I didn't want to be there anymore and I needed to get away from these people. And the best way to do that was to become educated, to go to university, to become a journalist, to re- perhaps report on people. I've gone away from that now. It's, I, I have actually gone in a totally different direction. But it was to kind of stop this crap from happening. And that's something that I... I'm getting more and more into now and I'm looking to help other people and expand because as lovely as it is living this wonderful luxury lifestyle and it's brilliant, don't get me wrong, I, I adore it and I enjoy it, I, I'm feeling the need and as are a lot of other Instagrammers who I've spoken to and other influencers, particularly this year, we need to give back Definitely. and there's a huge movement, a huge change coming about where it it's not you know, it, it feels so vacant and so vacuous, constantly just saying, look at me in this amazing suite. Look at me driving this supercar. Look at me. It's all look at me, look at me. Actually, no, don't look at me. I want to look and see what I can do to help other people. So and have you made any roads into that yet? I'm, I'm currently like researching into what I really want to do is, is help some anti-bullying charities in the UK. But also being Indian, I'd quite like to help out with some children. I I love children. I'd love to help out with some children's charities in India, whether that be... Well, you know, if anyone's listening, then come to me and let me know what the causes are that you're working with because I have a social platform where I can reach hundreds of thousands of people. And you know what? I'd like to use it for good. As I'd still like to continue doing what I do because that's what people came to me for in the first place. But I'd like it to to go in a slightly different direction. I think that gets to everyone, you know, you spend a lot of time doing the frivolous stuff and it's really nice. I mean, let's face it, you know, you didn't have that much fun growing up. Somebody offers you free luxury travel around the world. You're Mm. not going to say no, actually, it's against my principle. (laughs) You don't need to be, because it's a great thing to travel, you know, for anyone that can, you know, afford it, whether that's going away for the weekend or even spending time exploring your own city or a luxury break and wherever. Travel is a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. It expands the mind. It, it, I, I firmly believe it helps iron out prejudice as well yeah. because oh, very you know, for much. many, many reasons. Because you see so many different levels of culture, levels of people, um, different countries, how different people are being treated in different ways. And, and as you know, you see the luxury side, you learn about the history and the heritage, but actually you, you also want to learn about what's happening at grassroots levels, what's happening really in, in impoverished areas and in communities. Uh, and there are a lot of amazing hotels out there that are, um, you know, lots of tourism is, is, is sustainable, is helping local communities, is training up staff from those villages and bringing them in. Like, for example, uh, Cambodia is an excellent example of that. It is, absolutely. Um, I was recently stayed at the Chintamani Resorts, the Bill Bensley, beautiful, beauty, boutique, luxury hotels. But actually, what's wonderful about it is that they are working with local communities and bringing in, they're training up staff from these villages that have, you know, lived through the war. They have no money. They don't even have toilet facilities in their villages. They're still, you know, digging out, you know, with holes in the ground and whatever it is. But what these, what that particular hotel group is doing, and I love, is is educating those people who would otherwise be stuck in that village. But and also the other thing is, if if they're taking the young person out of the village, obviously, and they're not getting paid very much because they're in training. What the hotel group is doing is actually helping the family to have money they're training the child whilst paying them a, a reasonable salary in the training which goes to the family which means that the rest of the family is still getting money um and they're not having to put them into you know child labor or 
awful kind of industries that we don't necessarily wish them to be in. And hoteliers, in that sense, it's actually quite a good industry to be in, to be able to work your way up. You know, yes. I've, I've met hotel managers Very all good. over the world yeah. who have started off as, as yeah. busboys. Oh, uh, actually, yes. unfortunately, have all been men now I think about it. But, you know, I'm sure there is, uh, there is you know, hopefully that, yeah. increasing uh, level. Yeah. I don't know. That's an interesting thing. How many hotel managers are women? Women. Many. Yeah. In Cambodia, in that particular resort, there was a lot of female and they, that, that they wanted to balance it, which, uh, but I mean, that's just that specific one. But yeah, it would be good to find yeah. out that. It's a, it's a male thing, isn't it? Hotels feel like that. But, you know, then you've got, it's very stereotypical, but you've got the sort of boutique B&Bs. That seems like quite a female thing. But anyway, yeah. we're running out of time, so I'm going to do a quick fire around that I don't have, well, I haven't <laughs> had any questions written down. I'll just wing it all as I go. But <laughs> I, so I don't have this written down, so I'm just going to do a quick fire. What has been your best experience when travelling? Oh, okay. Very broad uh, question there. I'm going to go two opposite ends of the spectrum. One, I loved going to Chintamani and meeting the kids in that village and hanging out with them for the afternoon and showing them how to use our drone and they were so excited by it because they'd never seen it before and that was lovely I loved I loved that charity element of it and I loved the work that people were doing to help them that's in Cambodia uh, in Cambodia I love Cambodia. I loved Cambodia and then the other end of the spectrum is going to an illegal cave rave in Tulum <laughs> Oh, which was you. underneath the Tulum, the Mayan ruins Mixed on a full moon night. And it was basically, we'd been to a full party anyway with quite a famous DJ. And then we'd, uh, the party had finished. They were throwing us out. So everybody got together the, the sound system. Everyone bought booze in carrier bags. And we went to the beach and just had this amazing party, danced barefoot in the sand with the sound of the roaring waves and the view of the uh, Mayan ruins. Oh my God, that sounds like it the was perfect incredible. party ever. <laughs> I could just do that. Uh, most challenging experience while travelling, has anything bad ever happened to you? I mean, that in luxury travel, that's... It's all you dealt with, It's all it? dealt with, to be fair. It's all kind of sorted. You don't need to worry you about things. you been off on your own? And like, I have, yes, I have, obviously. Oh, actually, I had, when I was uh, travelling back backpacking around Thailand when I was a lot younger we were it's not even a very nice but uh, we were getting a bus from one end I can't remember the exact destination we'd just been kind of co- Lipe and we were going to the other side but we had to cross the land in, in the middle and actually we were travelling with this lovely guy who was our friend and just as we got on a bus to go in one direction he got I don't know how into a fight with some crazy locals who smashed him across the head and we saw this through the window and he was covered in blood and our bus was driving away and we're like please stop the bus please stop the bus our friends just been injured totally ignored us carried on driving and we were just literally screaming like stop the bus let us off our friends just been beaten up and we don't know why I, it was just a horrible experience i just remember thinking i just want to get off this bus please stop and they just wouldn't and we just we drove off we had we drove off, but what we did see was uh, another couple who were our friends. Also, who you know, when I say friends, we'd been chatting on on the bus from journey. They picked him up, and they the three of them got into a tuk tuk, and obviously we're taking him to a hospital. Oh, this, but this the story really sounds really horrific. familiar. I feel that like somebody oh, really? else has told this story on the podcast. Who were you with? What? Who, really? Yeah, who was oh, your friend? So I was with my friend Lucy, who is a furniture designer. Okay, um, don't think now. it's going to be her. No. <laughs> um, and, I mean, I don't know who the couple were. There were, there were a couple from London. That's so bizarre. It sounds really familiar. That's so I'll have weird. to draw back and have a listen. If any oh. really keen listeners is want to draw back. Is this a thing that if go to Thailand, they're no, going to hit on the head? No, just someone hit on the head and the bus wouldn't Sorry, start. No, I'm, I'm laughing. Some, oh, it's horrible. I've got a weird sense of deja vu. Like someone has had a very similar story to this. Yeah, and then couldn't stop the bus. Oh, 
place where you felt most relaxed. Ibiza and Bali. Oh, God. Oh, Ibiza that's always. the trouble about this job. Just, it just makes you just want to travel. Yeah, <laughs> I love... Uh, Formentera is my favourite beach in Europe because it basically looks like you're in the Caribbean and it's, it's white, white stunning. Sand. It's white, white sand, turquoise, clear waters going as far as the eye can see. You're sailing on your boat. It's away from all the horrible, you know, touristy, horrible hoodlum stuff going on on the main island. There's lovely parts of the main island yeah, of too, course, which I adore. A, there is the very um, touristy hoodlum part as well. But what I love is that Bali, particularly Changu, which I've just come back from a couple of days ago, has that feeling of, of Ibiza 20 years ago. It's not these nightclubs like in Ibiza now, super clubs filled with glass and one bottle of alcohol costs 500 pounds, <laughs> uh, which is absolutely insane. It comes with attached with sparklers so that makes it Oof. worth it obviously but in Bali it's back to grassroots it's back to dancing on the beach amazing cute you know stand between your toes yeah, I'm all about dancing on a beach oh, clearly that's my that's dancing my dream under the stars yeah. is just the best thing it is especially if it goes sure. until sunrise because it's fun <laughs> and it's well, magical it brings me nicely in from dancing to music actually because my last question is always about music Ooh. because I believe the music and travel go hand in hand right and I'm going to ask you to choose one song that reminds you of a special moment of travel. And oh, I know. What already. is that song and why? California Dreaming, Mamas and Papas, yeah. road trip throughout, uh, you know, Vegas, LA, Palm Springs, because we were actually going to Coachella. And I just, in fact, the drive from LA to Palm Springs, which is quite mountainous, but it's all those amazing silver wind farms everywhere. And then these huge kind of monster trucks, but they, they're almost like silver. I mean, they're obviously not chrome, but they're just like these metallic, shiny, huge trucks. And we were in a top down convertible that that's my i loved i love that trip that song for that sure. song is amazing that trip yeah. is amazing i've <laughs> never been to coachella i'd love to go it's to coachella. very fun it's very what fun. was your i'm going to carry on here just for one last question <laughs> after my last question what was your most coachella moment in coachella <laughs> wonderful okay so i went with a brand i actually went with mercedes-benz who were nice. driving us to and from in a convertible in a, uh, in various different cars, but yeah, one of them was a convertible. And Coachella moment. Two things. One was Leonardo DiCaprio and Rihanna perhaps sharing a little snog oh. in the VIP area, which was hilarious. We were, just, we were sat there and we were like, really? Didn't see that one coming. But they were having a great time, so we won't say anything. Um, <laughs> and also, the amount of outfit changes that people have at this festival is completely absurd. It's, a, it's the most Instagrammable festival I've ever been to in my life. But on that note, it also makes it a little bit less fun because people are just changing outfits and taking photos. It's just a photo shoot. The whole experience <laughs> is a photo shoot. I didn't even you know, particularly listen to any of the songs. <laughs> it's just insane. We did eventually. We were like, right, that's enough. Put cameras, put phones away. Let's actually in- immerse ourselves in the moment, listen to the music and have fun. Brilliant. Thank you so much for coming on the Big Travel Podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much, Bonnie. Coming up, we have my good friend Lucy Siegel making a welcome return to the podcast to take the bull by the horns and discuss the environmental impact of travel. Oh, yes, we will. And thank you very much for listening to the Big Travel Podcast. 